and welcome to episode 23 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I am Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, September 5th, 2019, and a big thank you to all of our listeners, old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How are you, Courtney? Great. All bundled up in a sweater for our lovely late summer weather. You love it. I do. I'm in a sweater, too. It's been great. I can get out all my hand knits and been making good use of them this week. I'm seeing lots of beautiful sweaters out in the world, too. It is that time of year. Rhinebeck is coming. Not that I'm going, but mm. the New York Sheep and Wool Festival in October is kind of like... I wish I could go. That knitters, would be really... Knitter's highlight. Yeah, Totally. So we should get to chatting. There, I have lots of things that I want to talk about. Um, we have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and then our final bingo wrap-up. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. So if you were one of the wonderful people that finished up uh, bingo and posted, be sure to stay tuned at the end and see if you are our big winner. So exciting. Very exciting. So on the needles, knitting. I have made great progress on my Descent cardigan. I'll say. I'm so excited. I finished all of the color work. So beautiful. And you didn't you didn't run in, run out of yarn. It, you nailed it, pretty much. Right? You were thinking that you were going to have to reverse the... Oh, so, yeah. So, well, it calls for... So, this is the Descent cardigan by Andrea Rangel. And it has color work at the top that's based on Ruth Bader Ginsburg's, one of her lace collars that she wears um, when she's working on the court. Mm -hmm. So I'm using magpie fibers, domestic worsted in velvet underground, which is a purple, that's the background or the main color, I guess. And then the contrast color is Spin Cycle Yarns Dream State in Verba Volante, which is this pastel rainbow gradient. It's such a good contrast. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It calls for two skeins. And I barely got into the second one, which is fine. Now I have almost an entire skein of this beautiful loveliness to work with on something else, which I'll have to figure out. Um, but yeah, I asked a couple people, Courtney and some of my other knitting friends, their thought because I knew I was going to get into the second skein. So I wasn't sure if I should start the colors over because it goes from like a pink to a green. Mm-hmm. Something like, like a that. yellow transition. Yeah, in yeah. between. I don't know how they do it. It's crazy and beautiful. Yeah, so I wasn't sure if I should start over with the pink or just keep going and reverse the colors. Um, and I decided when I got to the end of the first game, I realized I really only had about four more rows mm. to do of the color work. So starting over might just look kind of weird. And if I started with the same color that I had been working on, it would look more harmonious, I guess is the word. So, And I think it turned out really nice. And now it's just going to be miles of this gorgeous dark purple knitting and then and then the steaking so as I start oh, to yes. think about it I'm getting nervous but I have to finish the knitting first excellent yeah so that's been fun I've worked a little bit on my Hermione's everyday socks by Erica Luder in the uh, nasty woman colorway from white birch fiber arts um, I need to try on the first sock because I'm getting I think I'm getting close to where I should start the toe but I can't tell I need to measure it or do something. I just haven't because I'm usually knitting on it in public and I don't want to <laughs> take my shoe off and try the sock on. That is um, a little bit more odd than 
most people can handle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty weird. It is fun, though. One of the places I knit on it is um, at my kids' orthodontist appointments. And one of the, I guess they are assistants. The tech? Yeah. The te- yeah. Is a knitter as well, so she's always <gasps> oh, asking me what I'm working on, and she saw the yarn and was like, what yarn is that? Okay, I need to go order that right now. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't know if she was successful because it's from three years ago, I think. Um, so I don't know if she still has that colorway or not, but... You're an enabler. That was pretty good. And then there was somebody else. I was knitting on it somewhere else. And somebody asked me if it was a sock, which usually people have no idea what it is. So I asked her if she was in it and she said no, but my daughter is. So it's like, okay, that's fair. Fun. I was pretty impressed by that. And then I've also been working on the porthole cowl by Knitting Expat Designs. The one where I use the two mini skein sets and the contrasting colors. That's coming along. I've started on the second color of the main color of the, the so the maple vanilla browns and blues um both of the yarn sets are from three irish girls one is a dorn sock and the other is the westerly sea sock that's the blues i don't think i've started on a second westerly blue. sea sock is that West- what you said oh. <laughs> yes westerly sea sock i like the a sound of, of that a lot of s's that's the one with the seaweed in it that one is an interesting one um, i don't think i've started on the second blue yet because I got kind of distracted by the Hometown Comfort Mystery Knit Along by Michelle Stead. I had forgotten that I had signed up for this. So the yarn is from a kit that comes from Destination Yarn. Um, and I think I've talked about that yarn before. It's a dyer that I really like. The Knit Along made me think I really want a paint along oh. in my life. And so I'm secretly writing down or quietly. So I got an email from her in August saying she was doing a collaboration with this designer and she was going to set up the yarn for the mystery knit along. So you'd get the pattern and the yarn and some other little goodies. And I think there's supposed to be a a pin, like a shawl pin in there. It's a shawl. So that we knew. Um, And I wasn't familiar with the designer. I think she goes by Crafty Flutterby on Ravelry and Out in the World. So I looked her up and she had some really gorgeous projects. So I said, okay. I could do that because I'd kind of decided I wasn't going to do an advent calendar this year. I didn't want to be mm-hmm. that involved again. But this was like a month-long thing, so it kind of gave me that that uh, mystery knit-along fix without being too, too involved. So then I got a shipping notice, and I was like, oh, right, <laughs> I have a project coming soon that I will want to start right away. That's so fun. So that was fun. So And it started on... Labor Day, which was this past Monday, which is a holiday in the United States. So that was perfect. Both my kids were off doing their own thing with their buddies. So I had time to open my first package. The yarn all came wrapped separately, each so it's like open it on the first day. This is, you know, for clue number two. So I don't, I can kind of guess at the colors. Color names are on the outside, but I don't know for sure. Um, There was a little goodie in the first package that I was not really expecting. And um, so I've done the first clue, and it's really, it's very cool. I haven't posted photos yet. You can probably find them out there. I'm trying not to spoil the mystery for too other, much, although by the time people. this comes yeah. out, we're already beyond to clue number two. So I went for the, the cool colorway, so it's like blues and greens, and that's my love. So yeah, the first one is this yeah. really, really beautiful blue. Mm. So I'm excited to finish this, um, and it is really short. Well, I mean, I can finish it or not the 
official knit along ends on September 30th. So, do you think you'll do one of those Advent ones again this year? I don't think so. I had looked at a couple and thought about it, and I keep getting emails about them, and there haven't been any that I've thought, oh, I really absolutely want to do that. So, I have plenty of yarn and things I want to knit. Yeah. If I'm not going to be totally inspired by something, then. It was just great packaging. It was packaging. And they're doing different. Oh, the Jody Beans wool one. Yeah, it came in that big box last year. Tower. It was like a Harry and David's gift. It was. (laughs) They're not doing the tower this year. They are doing little tin cans that are um, magnets. So you could reuse them on your spice rack. Spice rack or craft board or whatever you want to do. But yeah, it wasn't. Okay. And the colorways weren't as enticing to me. So I looked at some other ones and they weren't just, they weren't speaking to me. Yeah, so I think that is all my knitting. Just kind of, you know, got things going and just working away. Well, I don't have personal knitting to contribute to this conversation, but I have been seeing beautiful hand knits come up all over Instagram. And I think one of my favorites has been from Alicia Paulson, who makes um, embroidery kits. Hmm. Uh, Just really beautiful ornaments and samplers and that kind of thing. Her website is Posy Gets Cozy. Many people, I think, will be familiar with her, but she's been knitting sweaters for her daughter, Amelia, who is... I think six or seven, and she has been making sweaters for Amelia, her Amelia's whole life. But now Amelia has decided that the wool ones are too itchy, and so she's been knitting in really soft acrylics from mm. like Michaels. Yeah, that's some nice stuff. She keeps posting these sweaters that she's made for her daughter, and has spent like six dollars on the yarn for them, and they are the cutest first grader, kindergartner sweaters I've ever seen. They're just so cute. I want to send everybody over there just if you're interested in seeing little girl sweaters. Alicia's making beautiful ones at Alicia Paulson. Plus they're probably washable. They are washable and soft and now her daughter is wearing them so that's always satisfying. And then it's Less annoying when she outgrows them in two months. Right. As children tend to do. She seems to be a very fast knitter because she's knit up like four of these in the past couple weeks, as far as I can tell. Oh, wow. And you know me. I'm the world's slowest knitter. So I'm also the world's slowest painter these days. Well, fine art painter. I I got caught up painting my dining room. Yes. We left Did off you finish? There. I finished painting the dining room. Excellent. So it's not on the easel. but yeah. It's not on the easel. I patched a spot that was really bugging me in the living room and got that. You're just going down a rabbit hole. Well, yeah, when you have all the stuff out, it's kind of like, well, I might as well, you know. True, and probably once you've got one redone and the other ones, you're like, ooh, there's a spot Uh there. And then you see everything. It's really bad. That's why I just don't ever (laughs) start. Well, we had, a few years ago, we had put on... We had done a little work on the upstairs, and the workers banged on the opposite, one of the opposite walls to our master bedroom, Mm. and it sort of wrecked a couple spots in that wall. And we had patched them over, and that was the end of it, and I never finished painting it. 
Well, when I had pulled the painting out for the dining room, I realized that I had a almost a full gallon of the master bedroom paint. And so I thought, well, <laughs> while I'm at it. So yesterday I painted my master bedroom, which was really great to wake up to this morning, that wall without any patches in it. Nice. Oh, but it's a wall in your bedroom. It was a wall in my bedroom. Oh, okay. I thought it was in the hallway. There's that I'd been staring at yeah, for, for years. Like three years. That's a while. Yeah. In the background of all of this wall painting, I did pull out all of my oils and sort of committed to myself that I would make a, a more serious attempt at the oil studies that I wanted to do. So set up the easel properly and the palette, and I have a glass palette for the oil paints. And so have been sort of working away at something. And so far, so good. I think what I'm doing differently is I'm not trying to do it all in one go. There are a lot of painters who do like a la prima where you do the whole oil painting in sort of one session or one day. Yeah. And that isn't conducive to the whole back to school riot that is yeah. my household. So I'm sort of taking a slower pace with that. And then I am hosting a baby shower and it is safari themed. Oh, cute. So I did have some safari animals pop up in my Instagram as, you know, tiger cubs are really hard to draw. Aren't they? Yeah. Lion cubs. There's no contrast in a lion cub. Um, they just look like fluff balls. Tiger cubs look really serious because they have all of that heaps of contrast. So I was struggling with the cubs, but giraffes and elephants and the zebra was really fun. Cool. And then I um, decided that these envelopes needed to fly to their invitee with a butterfly on it. And so I painted butterflies on all the envelopes. That's what that was. Uh-huh. And that was really fun. And I said to my husband, I recognize that most people will get these in the mail and they'll say, oh, ha a butterfly and it will get recycled and I'm okay with that because it brought me so much joy to sit there and paint or stand there and paint all the details on all of these butterflies. It was fun. It was my favorite. I think part. a lot of people will recognize that it's from you so it's probably not just like a stamp or we'll see. Although so, even then like stamping all those envelopes. Would be yeah impressive. yeah about I only know about half the people so mm. maybe they will and maybe they won't and I'm okay with it. It's just I was thinking as I was standing there painting them, I could really do this for stretches at a time. You know, it was my favorite part of the Christmas card last year was painting the acorn on everyone's oh, envelope, yeah. which made me think I still haven't started the uh, Christmas. I know it's September, it's September, but I am thinking about Christmas and I do that December daily with Allie yeah. Edwards. I talked about it last year. And this week she released some of her Christmas products, which made me think, ah, oh, I should finish last year's. <laughs> <laughs> it's all ready to go. I just have to put it together. You know, I just got to find a minute, Monica. Just a minute. Yeah. Only one? That could be difficult because the back to school stuff is crazy right now. It is. It's, I guess How's it going here? We are fully immersed there. Yeah. There's so much going on. You know, I'm kicking... But it's, it's all good, and I wouldn't want it any other way. 
just makes meal planning a little difficult. How's your meal planning going? Um, not too shabby. <laughs> I did some baking, so that was exciting. I made the, I still don't know how to say them, Riccarelli, Riccarelli? Riccarelli. Riccarelli cookies, and they were delicious. And I used the same recipe that you did. How many did you get? Um, so two dozen. Oh, you made. I think of smaller. Yeah, two tablespoons seems huge. But still, yeah, there's no way you're getting four dozen out of that unless they were really tiny. Maybe two teaspoons. Well, the ones. So the reason why I made the Riccarelli cookies is because they sell them at Arismendi, and Arismendi takes like an ice cream scoop and does them. Wow. And you know. That's awesome. And I didn't really feel like I needed them that big for home. These are the Sicilian. No, they're not Sicilian. These are. Yeah, Sienese. Sienese cookies. With an almond. They're an almond flour Mm -hmm. base. Egg whites. Egg whites. And then this particular recipe, which is in the show notes, has a little orange zest, Mm -hmm. which I thought was nice. I don't think that Arismendi uses orange zest in theirs. I think it wasn't terribly orangey. It was just Mm. more complex. So yeah, no, they were delicious. They went. It's a good recipe. It's just not enough. (laughs) No, Uh, you know, it was good. I don't know how long they would last though, like a keep. Oh, I think a while. I do. Okay. Well, they did not last long in my house. That is the problem with a cookie. Yeah. Or cookies. It was good. And then I did the almond cake from Flourless by Nicole Iridakis. And this is a flourless baking book that she did a few years ago. And everything in it is, I want to say, naturally gluten-free. She's not trying to recreate a flour-based cake. She's doing an almond flour cake. She'll use rice flour or meringues, you know, things that are meant to be made without flour. So you're not trying to recreate something you're the te- exploring. The texture um, is yeah. more accurate than mm-hmm. it would be if you were trying to substitute Right. Okay. Um, so, and there's some really great things, and this is one of them. And I served it with whipped cream and sliced nectarines. I think the original one calls for serving it with roasted strawberries, but it's delicious, and that also did not last very long. So that was fun. Last night, Simon was away, so we had a meat and gluten fest. I went with the sausage, kale, and crouton saute. I don't know if that's the actual name, but that's what it is. From a Smitten Kitchen every day, because I thought... I haven't explored her meat-filled main entree section yet. And this one was super fast. You saute chunks of bread and then add the sausage and then you add the kale. Oh, and there's white beans in there too and garlic and some vinegar. So it was, you know, 20 minutes or so. Really delicious. And it was interesting because or we used to do a soup with kind of all those same flavors except it was potatoes instead of bread that my sister-in-law introduced us to. So I knew the boys, or I was pretty sure the boys would like it. And they did. And then it was interesting because I was trying to think of how to change it. Usually I'm pretty just, I'll take out flour or whatever. And this, but this one is meat and bread are the two main components. <laughs> so it was a little bit tricky. But I think you could certainly just leave out the sausage and add more beans and kale. Make it heavier on that. And then thinking about this soup, you could probably, if you took fairly finely chopped potatoes, maybe blanched them before and then sauteed them instead of the bread to make it a little more hearty as well. So I think there's some interesting possibilities to 
to be able to work it into my family's mm-hmm. regular repertoire. Because the soup was one of my husband's favorite things. Well, bread and meat. Yeah. Two things he doesn't eat. No. I'm going to make it happen somehow. Um, and I did, you know, veggie business going on. I think, I feel like with veggies, you have to make more things. My standard dinner planning is basically like a meat and two, right? And I'll have one thing that's complicated. So I'll have, if I have a meat dish, like if my chicken dish is complicated, then I'll just steam some vegetables and make some rice. Okay. Totally simple. I don't feel like you can quite do that with vegetables. It feels harder to me, I think is what I'm struggling with. So like I did this great dinner. I think it was a Friday night. It's one of our nights when we don't really have anything. So I'm not fighting sports practices. So I made, you know, tomato and mozzarella caprese. Oh, and we just got our produce box. So it's using up all the goodness there. And then I had a recipe for miso glazed eggplant, which was really delicious. That was from my um, the Short Stacks eggplant cookbook. And then I had a garlic marinated broccoli, which um, had soy sauce in there. So it was a little different. So it was all, it was three great things. I think I might have thrown some chicken in there for the boys. But it was all of these things. So many more moving parts. Yeah. And all delicious. And it looked beautiful. It contrasted colors and it was well, yeah, filling. You, you can't cook like that every night. Yeah. So that's trying to find kind of the one dish vegetarian is a little trickier. I think the um, the more, not satisfying, but the more involved vegetarian dishes that I'm thinking of are like maybe gratins where you don't really have to put cheese in them, but where it's all like one, one dish vegetarian. Yeah. There might be rice in there. It could just be a cheese and like broccoli and cauliflower. Maybe that's what you need to look for, like yeah. one dish type thing yeah for the weeknight it's still it's a work in progress i did make um black bean and sweet potato tacos that were quite good um, and that was a wimpy vegetarian recipe and that was more or less one dish i made you know rice on the side but yeah rice is easy enough so that was pretty good i'm getting there how about you well i went to the library i don't know maybe a week and a half ago and i got three cookbooks out after having spent a long stretch in Italy eating whatever we wanted, I was sort of looking. Oh, and what is today? National Cheese Pizza Day, which is probably my children's favorite meal ever. Mine the switched old. to pepperoni, but they used to be just cheese. Yeah, the older one likes Hawaiian. Oh. Which is ham. That's and a good pineapple. choice. Yeah. I know. So I was looking to lighten up our menus a little bit. And so I found Skinny Taste by Gina Homolka, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of. Uh, Good For You by Dana Jacoby. And Eating in the Middle by Andy Mitchell. All of these offer a lot of vegetarian options or much lighter uh, meat options. Lots of fish and leaner, leaner cuts, that type of thing. From one of them I made, you know, because we're diving into this lighter eating, I went right for the desserts. Of course. <laughs> and I made um, a berry and apple slump in the slow mm-hmm. cooker. Mm-hmm. I love baked fruit. And this, a slump is has just like a little bit of, it's almost meant to be, I think, a cake, like a cakey mm-hmm. topping. It looks like fruit dumplings cool. in the slow cooker. They tasted great. They were really light. 
I didn't put anything on them. The guys had ice cream with theirs because it was warm and wonderful. And it was not a lot of, of dough or dumpling. I think next time I would do it in the um, Dutch oven so that they'd brown up a little bit if I had them in the oven. It could have been a little prettier, if you know what I mean. And it didn't really take that long. It's not like the slow cooker expedited anything, you know. But she, it it must be skinny taste. She has a bunch of slow cooker recipes in that book. Then we had a flank steak recipe a flank steak salad. So the salad base was great and she had a dressing, but I used my own because she called for chipotle, kind of spicier. Oh, yeah. And I I like a regular dressing. She had a great dry rub for her flank steak um, and I just did that in the broiler. We had that one night and everybody loved it and I served it with an apple braised cabbage which I just did in uh, the cast iron. It has um, a lot of wine in it, which is a different flavor profile than we're used to, but it was really good. It was really, it just, the cabbage just melted away. It was really nice. I would make that again. And then later on, or earlier this week, I did the chicken meatballs from Smitten Kitchen, which Mm -hmm. everybody loves. And I did an acorn squash. Which oh. in a couple days is National Acorn Squash Day. Yep. The hardest part about acorn squash is splitting this thing open. Yes. Which I can see why people don't ever cook squash because I've cooked I cook squash all fall and even I had a moment where I was thinking, This is kind of dangerous. You know, you just have to like really heave into it. Yeah. And I had my giant chef knife and was super careful and I still was thinking man this thing is a it's like rock hard so for people who are timid about acorn squash this is my technique you take that thing put it on your cutting board and get it so that it's not rocking and rolling you like find you know because acorn squash are the ones with the ridges the deep ridges all the way around and then I like find a good spot for the knife and I put a kitchen knife a kitchen towel over the tip of the knife So that I can push down on both sides of it. And then I leave the kitchen knife there and carefully lift out the knife. You're not going to cut all the way through that thing on one go. Then I flip it over and try to do the halfway and do the same process on the other side. And then I'm able to like split it open with my hands. You know what I mean? Like I, I can see why people would get intimidated by that. So anyway... Acorn squash on the menu. So then I just roasted it in the oven, half and half, with a little bit of olive oil, salt, and pepper. And then I forgot to put anything else on it when we sat down to eat, and they were perfect. They were so flavorful, probably because it was so hard to get into it, you know. So that was delicious and easy with the chicken meatballs. And then we were over at a friend's house, and he made us smoked salmon. Smoked it himself. Wow. This is our mutual friend, Al. I was going to say. So you need to call him and tell him that you need this salmon because it was the best smoked salmon I ever had. And I'm trying to get the brine recipe for everyone because it was amazing. Huh. Yeah. So I can't stop thinking about it. Because he has an actual smoker. He has a smoker, like a small, like, you know, something you buy 
at the hardware store. Not a big deal. And he said the trick was to buy not a young coho piece, but to buy the like sort of fattier North Atlantic salmon. And because it needs, you know, it needs some of the fat to help absorb the the brine. And boy, it was amazing. It was so good. I can't stop thinking about it. So hopefully he'll share the recipe for it because I bugged him about it. And I it's Thursday, and I've been thinking about it since he made it last weekend. Mm. (laughs) But I love salmon. So, and incidentally, I do not love smoked salmon. It's not my favorite. And this was so lightly, it wasn't super smoky. So if that's your thing, you'd probably have to leave it in long. I don't know. I don't know what the process is. You'd have to do something different because this was just right for me. The other thing I wanted to say... There was a blog post today from Dinner at Love Story. She is coming out with a veggie cookbook. <gasps> Yay! Her fourth book. Because they've been doing the weekday vegetarian thing, and so her new book is going to focus on that. And I that's am so excited. Yeah. Don't know when it's coming out. I didn't see anything. She didn't say in the post, I don't think. Um, and I haven't really checked. It sounds like she's still just in process with it. Oh, so okay. It's probably a while, but whenever. I'll be there. We should do another one of our cook from the same cookbook oh, yeah. things again. If anybody has any requests, let that us know. That was fun. Yeah. So this is just in from Al. We're sitting here recording, and Al sent me his brine recipe. He says, the recipe is simple. Half a cup of hot water, fill with salt until you get to three quarters of a cup. That's a lot of salt. Four tablespoons each of ground pepper and and garlic powder, and you brine your salmon for four hours minimum. Then he puts a little brown sugar on top before he smokes and bastes a couple times with maple syrup. No wonder it was so Mm. good. He smoked for four hours and recommends apple or cherry, not mesquite, until the internal temp reaches 140 to 150 degrees. And Al also recommends a website called Amazing Ribs, which is a nerdy smoker website, mostly about gear, but they have posted a bunch of great smoking recipes. Thanks, Al. Yay. So what are you reading? This time's reading went much better than last time. Yeah, the last two weeks. Yes, as you can see, because there are, I just have you have more, a big list, many more finished books. So, first thing, if you are local, there there is the San Francisco One City One Book book for October. October is when we do it, mm-hmm. yeah. And so the author will be giving a talk, which hopefully I'll get to attend. We'll see. It wasn't my favorite book, but it's kind of exciting to delve deeper into it and hear what the author has to say. And absolutely. Lots of things I liked about it. So, and I assume there'll be other events and whatnot. So, we'll have to keep an eye on that. So, the first one I finished was Celestial Bodies by Joka Alharthi, translated by Marilyn Booth. Um, it won the Booker International Prize this year, which is for a work that's been translated into English. I think it was originally, I want to say it's about 10 years old. I might be making it up. Anyway, but just translated in the past year. And it is from Oman, not a country I know anything about. So that part That's was really great. that part yeah. was really interesting. So it's the story of a family that has three daughters that are 
late teens, early 20s, in the mid 80s. Um, it kind of jumps back and forth and looks at the daughters and the family and the oldest daughter's husband and his family and kind of how they all adapt to the changes in the country. And the chapters are either third person focused on one of the daughters or, or various other people in the family. And then I don't think it was every other chapter, but every couple of chapters is first person from the husband, kind of currently. So there's some time shifting. There's time shifting, perspective shifting. And it was really interesting. They are a Muslim family, but it's not... It was interesting to have a book that focuses on something different from a culture and a society that I don't know. And it wasn't, I think, what you would typically like more think of it would a, be. a real modern perspective. Yeah. Yeah. More of a... Oh. A whole culture kind of thing. Okay. It's not yeah. just one negative thing, which is obviously we should be looking at, but if that's all you ever see of that culture, then that's you're all you're not, gonna think of. Yeah. yeah. So this was good. And there were definitely lots of issues to look at and explore. But it was it was beautifully written, I thought. Yeah. So I really enjoyed it. Oh good. That. Now how did you come across that book? I think it was just looking at the booker site to see okay. what the nominees were and mm, good. if there was anything that sounded interesting. Um, and that did. And then I went in back into my romance slash sci-fi <laughs> binging with a little hint of retelling of the classics. So we start off with Jane Steele by Lindsay Fay, which um, is a retelling of Jane Eyre, where this Jane is a serial killer. Okay. So it's very it's a little more dark and gothic. Um, and she has actually read Jane Eyre. It is still England in the 1840s. I think she's read Jane Eyre. It's one of her favorite books. She calls herself a serial killer. She's, well, she is. The first one's an accident, and all of the people are bad people. So it's a little more Dexter-like. <laughs> um, and she doesn't enjoy it. She's sort of, you know, people are threatening people she loves. or And probably if she was actually doing this in real life, I would think she should be in jail. But, you know, in a fictional novel, it's sort of light. And there's a lovely romance. And... Was, she did a nice job of changing it a little bit. Um, there's a mystery, and it's not a crazy wife thing, but there's a she changes enough that it, it doesn't feel. Yeah, it's always so fun to go see a fresh, go read a fresh yeah. take on a like a well loved classic. Yeah, and I, kind of, I enjoy it. Yeah, and you knew it was going to have a happy ending, and it did, yeah, so that was fun. And then, Light from Other Stars by Erica Swire which is sci-fi. The heroine is, she's an astronaut, and she is on her way to a new planet with three other astronauts because Earth has become uninhabitable. And so they are the first people going to the new planet where the terraformers have been at work and they're kind of, kind of get everything set up. Anyway, <laughs> it's kind of like the Martian in that there's, you know, something going wrong with the ship and they have to fix it. And it goes back to her childhood little town in Florida, and something tragic happens there, and it somehow relates to what's on the sh- happening on the ship now. Okay. It's not It's not as sci-fi as it makes it, as I make it sound. I mean, it's it's in space, and there's some time travel. The Martian um, is one of my favorite. Right? See, it's like all about the people. Yeah. yeah. And she's the botanist as well, which I thought was kind oh, of interesting. I love a botanist. It doesn't actually have anything to do with anything, but um, <laughs> I did think it was interesting. But it's that kind of... It is in space and there's science, but it's all about the people and their relationships. And yeah, so I really like that one as well. And then Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors by Sonali Dev, which, yes, 
Pride and Prejudice retelling, except Bay Area, yay, and now. And the Mr. Darcy character is actually the lady. So switches. Yeah, except that the guy, or the Elizabeth Bennet character, is actually named Darcy. But he doesn't go by Darcy because he doesn't like to go by Darcy. Okay. Because kids made fun of him. But it was really cute. She is a doctor at Stanford and grew up in a wealthy Indian family. Her dad is actually a Maharaja back in India. So she's totally wealthy and privileged. And he grew up in London and is a chef and is in town because his sister has a brain tumor. And the heroine is his his sister's sister's doctor. doctor. Yeah. So same thing. She kind of... I just guessed that. Yeah. I was trying to think. (laughs) The pronouns were getting... I was getting lost Uh in the pronouns there. Um, So yeah. So again, really cute. I like the Bay Area... Yeah. Bits about it. Although there's one scene where they, they're at a hotel in San Francisco and they go out on the balcony and there's the star filled night. Like A, fog. <laughs> B, they're in a city. You can't see the stars in the city. Like downtown. Never. Like that's just silly in so many ways. Other than that, really cute and I liked it a lot. Okay. I finished Death's End by Cheshin Shesh- Lu and I know I'm mispronouncing that, but I keep hearing different ways how to say it. Um, translated by Ken Liu. The finale of the trilogy, it was super intense. I kind of feel like I need to go back and listen to the end of it again because I was too involved with what I was doing and didn't fully get it. But it did not at all go where I was expecting it to. In a good way? Um, it wasn't bad. It was, it was really intense. <laughs> so, yeah, it was interesting. And I, my husband, this was his favorite book of the three, I think. So that's also, I want to go back to listen to it. Um, I think the second book was my favorite. I, Yeah, the main character in this one, I didn't love as much as I loved the main character in the second one. I think that's part of it. So mm-hmm. yeah, but overall, really interesting series. So is that the, that's the conclusion of your series, huh? It is, except okay. that I was at the library and there is a companion book written by someone else, but apparently oh. this author consulted on it. Same translator, and I guess... I didn't look at it fully what it was. Um, I think it might focus on the aliens instead of the Earth people. So, Okay. And then he, I found out he has a new book coming out as well. So, And I was like, ooh, I should check that out. So clearly, I overall enjoyed it if I want to see what's next. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking, speaking of companion books, I read Time's Convert, which is the companion book to the All Souls trilogy. Oh, yeah. The Deborah Harkness. Uh I just finished it last night, I think. So the All Souls trilogy, as a quick recap here, is the creature world where witches, demons, and vampires live amongst us, and they're really not dissimilar from you or me. They're all just people. They are all just people. Some of them just get to live longer. So Time's Convert wove together a vampire story with the Diana and Matthew story that the All Souls trilogy, which I liked hearing a little bit more of there. I, I liked revisiting mm-hmm. Diana and, and Matthew. And, and it picks up after, after the trilogy. Twi- yeah. Right, because they have their kids. Right. And now they're in, you know domestic bliss, Mm -hmm. if you will. And their life has 
slowed way down compared to the trilogy. And I think that that's totally realistic. Yeah. And wow. It's the ever after part of the... Right. Although it's, it's all part of the story. I don't know. I was uh-huh. expecting it to be much smaller. And oh, okay. we did keep coming back to them. That's true. I felt. Yeah. And then the other vampire story had had a lot of uh, historical references that I found interesting, like based on the American Revolution. And so I liked that part of it. But I did feel like now that... I don't know. There was something sort of sort of tacked on, you know? I felt like either one of the narratives could have been their own book. And I'm not... I think they were woven together because that's how the events aligned and it didn't necessarily need to be so. It didn't, you know, didn't have like historical significance or anything. But maybe there's a follow-on that will make this one make the alignment of this one more sensical. I don't know. Yeah. Anyhow, I also read The Reckless Oath We Made by Bryn Greenwood. This was one of my book of the month picks. And this is the one that was compared to Don Quixote. Oh, okay. So the, the main character is a woman named Z and she has just a really tumultuous life. And her champion is a character named Gentry and he he's on the autism spectrum and the voices in his head are telling him that he has to protect her at all cost and her life is super complicated and he feels as though it is his like solemn duty this takes place in modern day middle America with all the trappings and issues. He speaks in Middle English through the whole book, which is takes a little bit of adjusting, but not much. And then it is like so part of his character, and it is really good. Did you ever hear of The Wake? No. It is written in sort of pseudo-Old English. Okay. So it's like right after 1066 in England. Okay. And again, same thing. You're like, it takes you a little while to figure it out, and then you're like, oh, I totally get this. It's very interesting. Anyway, a little gimmicky, I will but... Look, I will look. Okay. This feels gimmicky only in, like, one or two tiny spots. Did it... Did I feel like, oh, this doesn't land? But otherwise, very com- two very compelling characters. And it is not a sweet book, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It has... Like I said, it has a lot of modern day issues in it and there's some violence and there's like real trauma and that kind of that kind of theme happening. But their two characters are wildly compelling. So I really liked it. Then for my book group, we read Go Went Gone by Jenny Erpenbeck. And it's written in German, so the translator is Susan Bernofsky. And Go Went Gone is about a character named Richard who lives in Berlin. And it is during the time when Berlin is sort of 
absorbing a huge influx of refugees from mostly from Italy. And it's how Richard has spent an ent- his entire life in academia, and now he's switching to retirement, and he has really nothing else um, anchoring his life. And so he's sort of transfixed by these refugees and their stories, and they cease, in his eyes, to become a group of refugees, and they really become individuals as he learns each of their stories and it's it's interesting to watch his growth amongst a country that doesn't know how to deal with this refugee crisis at all and by that i mean germany but it goes for present day us too yeah. i mean it's it's a it's interesting to see how she depicts the struggle of you know what they're hearing on the news with what they're telling the refugees with how the refugees are dealing with things and so it's a really timely book and it's also like most books that are written and translated it has a cadence of its own and i think it's really beautiful once you sink into it a little bit and and hear how the how he's telling his story so that was that was really worthwhile. And then for the parents of teens or for parents who will eventually have teens, boy, do I have a good one for you. It's called The Grown-Up's Guide to Teenage Humans, and it's by Josh Ship. The, what do we call this part? The subtitle? Subtitle. The subtitle is How to Decode Their Behavior, Develop Unshakable Trust, and Raised a Respectable Adult. Whew. That's a tall order. However, I think that this book approaches some of the, you know, challenges of raising a modern teen in a way that I haven't seen elsewhere and I have been looking. And I think the big takeaway that I got from this one is you can have control or you can have growth, but you can't have both. And I thought that that was... That was something I needed to hear because I was feeling like I needed to, you know, I have a 15-year-old. We live in a city, and I am a sort of nervous worrier by nature. I was finding myself really amped up about things that were out of my control. But he's also got to learn to navigate the city and learn how to keep track of his own time and all of these things that are really important for a teenage human. Yeah. So nuggets like that, it's somewhat anecdotal, but I think a lot more a lot more tool and strategy based than anecdotal. So I'm finding it useful okay. for and we don't have big, big problems, but I think it's always it's always a good idea to figure out how to better connect with your kid. Yeah. You know, especially when they're itching to be anywhere else. I did come up with a little short list of things that I really want to aim for. And we talked about it and that felt good to me. And it felt, I think, um, like a step forward. And yeah, and sitting down to dinner when we can during the week, you know, let's try for three or four nights a week because it's just like you run into with practices and schedules and travel and stuff that makes it tricky but and then like meaningful conversations 
and not just griping about homework and screen time and but tell me something funny about your day or the, my award-winning conversation opener is mm-hmm. what'd you have for lunch and then he'll launch into a thing about the carnitas at school oh. so so we're having carnitas tonight and he was asking for red rice so we made adam made red rice at 10 o'clock last night so we'd have it for today wow i know nice growth it's good yeah so those four good books sounds good bingo bingo so thank you everyone it was so fun seeing all the posts it was a delight the ideas and I don't think we had any but did you finish did you do a blackout I was still missing my picnic you didn't do your picnic no because it was cold here well it's never not going to be cold here but I didn't leave the city for the holiday so and then our friend Al served dinner inside so I couldn't even say I had it on his deck (laughs) You should have just taken the plate outside and gone inside. I know. And eaten it. Yes. We had lots of people do almost blackouts. Yeah. So that was that was really impressive. And thank you guys for playing along with us and embracing the idea and, and spreading the word to other people. And that was really nice. It was. It, we're we're so thrilled that people participated and and got something out of it too. You know, I saw a lot of meaningful stories in around heirloom recipes and finishing a project and so we're really grateful yeah yeah that was great and we had nine people that did get a bingo um so that was great and we used a we made a list and used random number generator to pick a winner and our winner is jchant26 who is julie who i know from my retreat um, so I see her like once a year, but so, um, I've been enjoying all her posts. It's very exciting. So yay, Julie. And Ju- if you can get in touch. Julie, we'll, we'll find a way to connect with you. And I have a box, a little box full of surprises to send your way. Yay. I am going out of town after this. So there will be a little delay in our next episode, somewhere between two days and a week. I haven't quite figured out our recording schedule. Um, so if we do not appear in two weeks, do not be alarmed. I am off exploring the world. So until then, make sure you do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.